So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's my job description. I'm the pastor. I'm at times the teacher. My job is to build you, the body of Christ, up so that you can be unleashed into the world for the glory of God and for his kingdom. That you would do the acts of service. My act of service is to build you up, give you opportunities to mature in your faith. So that we reach the unity. We've, given, we've been given all of the spiritual blessings. But unless we understand them and grow in them. We will never reach that fullness of Christ. Seek, belong, serve. They're not just words for us. They're not just cool words with arrows. They're the mission of Oasis Church. And it's also our discipleship process. To seek God to belong to community, and to serve the world. We have spent many hours in in conversation and prayer, kind of just honing it down into that three simple word phrase. But there's so much more to it than just those words. You hear, or you may have heard, this idea of partnership at our church. Partnership, uh, we don't have members here, we have partners. And a partner is uh, somebody who is committed to Oasis Church. And in the past, to teach here, to lead a ministry here, to preach here, you had to be a committed partner. And you still have to. But now we have reworked partnership to reflect our mission, to reflect our process of growing people in faith. So to become a committed partner of Oasis Church, you're saying I'm deliberately going to engage and commit myself to the engagement of certain principles that we as a church feel are important. And there's actually seven principles, seven expectations, seven commitments, however you want to word it. And they all find their foundation in seeking God, belonging to community, and serving not only each other, but the world around us. Now, these expectations, they're not just the only ones that we have as, as a Christian, but these are the ones that we can gather together as a community of faith and engage. And as we engage these things, we grow as mature disciples in Jesus. And so for the next few weeks... I would like us, I would like you to rethink church. Rethink what it means to be part of a church community. Rethink what it means to really seek God. To rethink that church is not just a Sunday morning thing. Church is a, faith is a way of life. It's not just Sunday. It's a way that you live every single day. And so we're going to work through these three words over the next few weeks to seek God, to belong to community, and to serve. And what it means in the context of who we are as a church. 
and what it means to be a committed partner to those commitments or expectations in Oasis. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to start. Father, I want to thank you for the love that you have for the church, this beautiful mess. Thank you that uh, you have poured out your spirit and you've empowered us to live in the ways that you call us. It's, it's only by your grace and mercy that we can uh, even call out on the name of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart is acceptable in your sights, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. Amen. You know, if you read the Old Testament you will find that the people of God, they, they kind of ebb and flow in obedience. You know, some, there's, there's seasons where uh, they, got, they have some good leadership and the people are just like on fire for the things of God. And then there's that moment of oops and then they fall away. And when they fall away, they're, they're actually, they're worshiping other gods. They are, they are entering into the practice of a different religion. Now, if we wanted to use our Christian lingo, maybe we would say that they would backslide because they're worshiping false gods. Now, when we think of, in our New Testament covenant days, when we think of a backslidden Christian, we kind of, we kind of think that, well, they're doing things, their life isn't refl- a reflection of God. And so they're, maybe they're failing somewhere uh, morally or maybe ethically. Maybe they're lying and they're cheating or th- things like that. But God's people in the Old Testament, they would, they would literally worship a different God. It would, be like, it would be like you on Friday, this coming Friday, you decide that you're going to go to a mosque. And you are going to bow down in front of Allah. And you are going to worship Muhammad as God's last prophet. And then you get up and then Sunday you pop in here. And then you're going through the motions here. This is what God's people were doing. They were worshiping false gods. They, in a very classic sense of the word, were polytheists. Many gods. Instead of who God was calling them to be as a monotheist, one God. And because of this, there were consequences. God has made amazing promises through his covenants. And when we press into that, there are consequences. And same for his people. He said, keep my commands, keep my my covenant, and things will go well for you. But when we don't, things can take a very drastic turn. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is, is kind of talking to the people and uh, he's trying to lead them. And, and um, it's, it proves to be a little bit difficult. And so he, he tells the people in chapter 4, he says, okay, let me, let me just tell you guys what's going to happen. You are going to make some major mistakes. You are going to worship other gods. And things are going to go badly for you. God is going to scatter you. You're going to be in captivity. You're going to be in foreign lands. You're going to have to bow down and worship these other gods. And it's just not going to be a pretty picture. And then in verse 29, he says this. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, 
You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And so here's the promise that God is making. Not only to the people then, but to us, to us today. It doesn't matter how far you have drifted or walked away. It doesn't matter the depth of insults that you have toward God by worshiping other things in your life, other gods. It's never too late. You are never far enough away from him that you cannot return to him. The door of opportunity is never closed as long as we have breath in our lungs to return to the things of God. And that's his heart. That's the heart of grace and mercy and love. In the midst of no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've walked away, God always will keep the light on for us. He always waits for us. There's a a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of of the lost son or or the prodigal son. And uh, it, it paints this picture of God and it paints this picture of us. And so the son comes to the father and pretty much tells the father, I hate you, I wish you were dead, now give me my money. And the father says, okay. Gives the son his inheritance. And the son leaves and he goes and he squanders it, spends it all on wine, women, and song. He's got nothing left. And, and, and as the story unfolds, the son decides, I need to go home. And as Jesus tells this story, it says that the father saw the son coming from a far distance and runs out to the son and hugs him and kisses him and puts a ring on his finger to honor him and gives him new clothes and tells his servants, we're having a party. My son has returned. Now, the people hearing this story, they would have been like, this is a fairy tale. This is a fantasy. This is not culturally accurate. Because in this culture, the son would have known that he would have to come back to the father. The father would never have run to meet him. He would have to come back to the father, get on his hands and knees and grovel at his feet just to be one of his servants. But not so with our father in heaven. It's just not the truth. Our Father longs for us. He waits for us. He desperately wants each and every one of us to come home. For it's in the house of our Father where He can pour out His blessing. It is when we are in the house of our Father, not in this physical room. When we are in the house of our Father, He can pour out His blessing. Now Moses is going to continue. But if from there, things are bad, you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress, meaning you are going to be in distress... And all things have happened to you, all of the really bad things that he said were going to happen. Then in later days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. And so having kind of moved away from the things of God, they've kind of broke union with him. Their life has taken a turn for the worse. Things are not going well. 
And however that kind of um, manifests itself in their lives, relationally between father, mother, children, maybe as a community, as a, as a culture, things are just taking a turn for the worse. And he said it was going to happen, and it happened because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promise of blessing, and God keeps his promise of consequence. And these people have suffered a consequence of not obeying God, of worshiping and seeking false gods. Now, I've spoken to some people over the years, and, and not all, but, but some that I've spoken to that just kind of have walked away, that Christianity wasn't for them. Because they wanted to just live in a certain way that they thought was restrictive because of our faith. Some, not all, but some said, what a mistake I've made. Like the things that I thought were going to make me happy. First of all, I never found that happiness. I never found that joy. And, the, and, and inside this, this interior inner turmoil transpires. Heartbreak, soul break. This is what the people are experiencing. Now, what I really find interesting is Moses kind of makes this promise. He says, okay, things are going to go really bad. And all the things that I said were going to happen to you are going to happen to you, which are really bad things. Then in later days, you're going to return to God and you're going to obey him. And, and it, on a, at the surface, it feels very much like cheap grace. It feels like, you know what, it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do. God is going to forgive me anyway. And so I'll just go on doing what I would like to do. That's cheap grace. If that's your attitude, then you do not know the grace of God. But that's not what is, is, is painting a picture here. The, the reality of this story in Deuteronomy is... That some people will not know the restoration that God has for them because they will have died separate, physically died separate from the things of the Lord. They would die in this horrible state of idolatry or, or disobedience. It, it, it's part of the story. It's part of the chapter. Like those who would walk away from God, they walk away from the life God has intended for them. They've walked away from his blessing. They've left the house. And they've left the blessing and the protection of the Father. They've walked away from the abundant life that Jesus died on the cross so that we could have. And some never will return because they will die in that place. Now, I'm not talking about heaven and hell. That's between God and the person. We don't judge that. Because how much fruit is enough fruit to prove I'm a Christian? Good luck. Be careful. But I'm talking about the life today, abundance today, blessing today. People will die in a state of disobedience to the things of God and miss what God has for them. And it's a sad, sad state. And in this story, those who finally come back, well, they come back because it's horrible. Like, things are so bad. Like, their life is horrible. Captivity is horrible. And they decide, well, maybe, maybe we should get back to the Lord. Just like the son in Luke 15. He squanders all of his money. 
he's feeding pigs. And he realizes that the pigs are now eating better than he's eating. And he says, maybe I need to go home. Maybe my dad will allow me to be a servant. Suffering takes place that didn't ever have to take place. They didn't have to live that way. They didn't have to enter into that hard and difficult place, those consequences. See, walking away from the things of God can have horrible consequences. And yes, by grace, he will strengthen us and empower us to live through them and pass them. And they can become a a testament to his goodness and love and and his glory. But we don't have to live that way. One of the reasons I became a pastor was because I didn't want people to make the same mistake I did. I wanted to share that there's a better way to live life than the first 30 years of the way I lived my life. There are consequences that you don't have to engage or or have upon your life if you would just seek the Lord. Now, I I want to share a little bit my, I'm going to sound smart, my theological perspective on sin. (laughs) Sounds good, huh? I just want to tell you what I feel sin is. Because so many times we we, we take this idea of sin and we say, well, that person is, is gossiping, that's, that's sin. That person is lying, that, that's sin. Uh, that person is, is living in a way, that uh, uh, a sexual immorality, and, and that's sin. And, and that's true. But really at the foundation of what sin is, it is putting something in your life and looking at it and considering it that it's more important than God. Romans chapter 1. Sin is making something in your life more important than God. And then we have these consequences that come from that. Sin says, you know, I'm going to put myself first. I'm going to make me happy. I'm going to get as much money as I can get, and I don't care how I do it. I'm going to do this because I want to do this. My job is more important. My whatever. My hobbies are more important. That's ultimately sin. And from that heart, sin is in the heart. From that heart, certain behaviors begin to manifest themselves in our lives. Really, really, pride, there, there is a sin. God, God just like, it, it, it just tears him up to watch his people become so arrogant and prideful. Pride is the foundation of, of us walking away from the Lord. I'm gonna. It's all about me. I don't care what anybody else has to say. Now, I would never think that any of you would say that. You all look like a pretty upstanding bunch but I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. We all got it. It's all part of us. Now, it says in verse 29, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, from that place of, ugh, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and soul. 
If you don't know this by now, but we're talking about the word seek this morning. Jeremiah, centuries later, would, would kind of say the same thing to God's people and they're in exile. He would say that you're going to seek me and find me when you seek me with all that you got. Jeremiah 29. That when you seek me with everything, you're going to find me. I, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And so this idea of seeking God with heart and soul is not It's not only the way that we're to come back to the things of God, but it's the thing that keeps us from ever wandering away in the first place. That we would make seeking him the priority of our life. That's why the first word in our process and our mission is to seek God. That is the foundation. That is the most important thing of a disciple of Christ is to seek God with everything. Everything that we have. To seek him with all our heart, all that's physically about us, all our perceptions, all of our thought process. To to get our intellect around this idea of, of going after God. To physically do the things that it takes to seek after God. With all of our soul, everything that's on the inside, everything that's in our interior. This goes beyond just an emotional response. This is being deliberate with going after the things that God has for us. Deliberate. Commitment. To seek the things of God. It's about engaging. It's about the pursuit. It's about us taking responsibility for who we are and for where we're going. It's about us taking responsibility to say, the world will no longer dictate how I live my life. But me seeking after the Lord, that's what's going to mold and shape the way I live. If there is sin in our lives, we got to deal with it. And if you're thinking right now, I got this thing that I need to deal with, let me tell you, that's the spirit of the Lord that just revealed that to you. Because he wants you to deal with it. And he wants you to give it to him to deal with. We all have it. We all have that thing in our lives. All of us has put something before God. And we've worshipped it. And it's idolatry. And God says, I want that thing removed. And what I have found is as soon as I realize and, and deal with that thing and think that I'm like, "Woo, I've arrived... I realize that there's the next thing. And then there's the next thing. But it's grace that he pours out upon us. That there's, it's, not a, it's not a condemnation. It's, hey, my son, we got to work on this next. Hey, daughter, that's keeping me and you apart. I want it gone. Here, here's, here's where I get really... Me personally, I'll share my own personal perspective on this. It's, it becomes very easy for me to confuse my working for God with my own seeking God. Like, I'm a pastor. I do God stuff all day long. I read the Bible and I pray and I read books by really smart people that they've studied the Bible and I study the Bible through, I do a lot of God stuff. 
I come here early when there's no one here to pray. I'm the last one to leave. I do God stuff. And I found that I can very easy, very easy confuse working for God with my own seeking for God. See, God doesn't care about me as a pastor in a general way. He cares about me as a son. And he wants me to be his son before I'm ever a pastor. And so my seeking of him can't be so I can get a good sermon, so I can find a good sermon illustration, so I can bless you. See, the seeking, my personal relationship with God has to come first, and then my ministry flows from that. It's the same for each and every one of you. Your personal seeking of God, making him the, the most important thing in your life, is, is, is the priority. And everything else flows from that. Your ministry, and you all have a ministry. And if you don't know what it is yet, the Lord wants to show you. We all have a ministry. But these two verses aren't the most important of the verses. Verse 31. That says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. This is, this, this, this is, this is the stuff, man. This is, this is the exclamation point. This is the mercy-given, covenant-keeping father that we have. The key to our returning to the things of God and the key to us never leaving the things of God is not based upon us, but it's based upon his 100% commitment to us. God will do everything in his love and power to woo us back. God will do everything in his love and power to keep us from wandering. But you see, we make choices. Some of those choices aren't good choices. And we end up walking away. But I'm telling you, the mercy of God is unbelievable. It's mind-boggling. It goes beyond our comprehension. When we think of God as being perfect, we have no idea what perfection is because everything is flawed in our life. We have no idea how dirty we stand in the spiritual before the Lord, but we are now clothed with Christ. Righteousness of Christ is upon us. And in our power, we have nothing except God's grace and mercy. He will not leave us alone. He will not abandon us. He will not give us up to ourselves. God takes the initiative to soften hearts. God takes the initiative to plant a desire in each and every one of us to seek him while he still can be found. To seek him, to make him the most important thing. I'm asking you, stop ignoring it. Stop putting it aside that you'll get to it at a later date, some other time, next weekend, next week, next month, when this season's done, when this starts to happen. Today is the day. Moses said at the end of Deuteronomy, he said, today I give you a choice. Either choose life 
or choose death? He said, I hope you choose life. I hope you choose life. Everything that's within us is God's grace and mercy to us. And if we seek him with everything we have, the promise is we will find him in big, glorious ways. But we have to be deliberate about it. We just can't take it for granted anymore. The mission of our church is to help people, to encourage people, to give people opportunity to become mature disciples of Jesus. We call that a committed partner. To grow into what God has called you to be. To grow strong in who God has called you to be. And the first step is to seek him with everything that we got. Everything we have. That he becomes the most important things. And we've created this process. And again, it's not the the end of all, end process but it's seven things that we believe as a church that will help you begin to mature as a follower of Jesus to seek that you would make Sunday morning a priority, that you would make this gathering of the saints a priority in your life, that you become part of a small group, that you would begin to unpack the word of God in a way that, that, that is deeper than what you can get on a Sunday morning. That you would have times of personal devotion every single day. Whether, whether it's, you know, it's, if you miss, if you're a 6 o'clock a.m. type of person and you miss it, it's okay to do it at 6 o'clock at night. God's not going to be mad. Don't miss it. In fact, Yanel gave us a, a very um, foundational, fundamental way to to. Do a devotion. It's on the back table over there. Take a paper. Start now. Seek God with everything that you have. These are the rhythms of a disciple. This is what it means to to be a partner. You're entering into this process with other people who are saying, man, I'm all in. I'm I'm, going to be all in. I'm going to do my best to see what God has for me. He's waiting. He's waiting for us to return with all of our heart, with all of our soul. He's waiting to pick that thing that's out of our heart, that's before him, so he can go on to the next one, so that he can go on to the next one, so he can go on to the next one. But remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is the joy of freedom. There is the joy of of grace. There's the joy of mercy and love. But don't, don't for a moment think that God is satisfied with where we are. And it's only because he has so much more for us. So much more for us. That we would return to the house of the Father so that we can know the abundance of blessing. Lord, we again thank you for your word. Thank you that you have kept it sacred and true. Now empower your church by your grace, 
by your love, and by the Spirit, that we would seek you with all of our heart and with all of our soul. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.